22nd pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky, quarterback, well, North Carolina. Hello. It's going to be a perfect fit. I'm very happy to be here in Chicago. Yeah, I really enjoy the coaching staff and my time with them, and I just can't wait to get to work. Bears Hour Live with host Lauren Cox and the draft doc Phil Atoshin. Hello and welcome to Bears Hour Live. We are back on the air. It's Sunday, June 25th. We took the Father's Day weekend off. We've been a little bit quiet on the Twitter, but we're back in the mix here in the Bears radio world. Thank you, everyone who's listening. I am Lauren Cox here with my co-host, as always, Draft Doctor Phil Atoshin. Phil, I know you've been crazy busy with the kids, and I know you're in the middle of some uh, some real estate adventures. But have you been able to at least uh, relax this weekend and and gear up for some Bears football talk? Definitely trying to get that relaxation on, Lauren. Hitting the open houses, trying to find a new place to call home, or it's been a tough go of it. It's kind of been like Kyle Fuller's career with the Bears right now. So we're trying. Now we're relaxing. I'm currently now up by the ocean in the Ocean State, Rhode Island. So it doesn't get better than this. It's a beautiful day here on the east coast by the the water and uh it's just a great time now to talk some chicago bears football i mean the vibe is in the air you know i'm wearing my bears gear on the beach today lauren and, and patriots come pa- patriot fans are coming up you got five but we have a dynasty now so there's a lot of arrogance there but you know it's football, and I'm fired up to come on and start talking Bears because, really, Lauren, we're at the home stretch towards camp, and a lot of answers are going to be had come camp, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, training camp starts, I believe, the first day that the Bears practice is July 26th, but I think the first day that's open to fans to watch is July 27th, and I think... I don't have a calendar in front of me, but I think the 27th is a Thursday, and the Bears are taking, yeah, that's right, the 27th is a Thursday, and the Bears aren't practicing on Fridays at training camp this year, so that the 27th will be the first day of, of fan activity, and then I believe they pick up again on the 29th. And for those who don't know, as a as a public service announcement to our listeners, the Bears are changing their training camp policies this year. In the past, you go down there, and you pretty much just get in a big line, and you know the, the real diehards like myself and a few others you get there at about you know 6 a.m before the camp to open at nine and you wait in this line because if you get there at eight you know the line already has a couple hundred people in it and they just open the doors and then everyone runs in and tries to get the best spot on the field but this year the bears are requiring all fans to have tickets and they're going to be free tickets but you can only get them through the chicago bears official app so you have to download the app and bring your phone with you and then get your ticket scanned to get into Bears training camp, which is really just a, a kind of a giant inconvenience for fans in an effort for them to be able to probably better track attendance and, you know, force everyone to download their app to get more downloads there, more advertising dollars. It's kind of just a big money suck. And they know, too, that Bears fans are <laughs> going to do it, and they're still going to come out in droves to training camp. It's always a fun event. I highly encourage anyone that hasn't been to training camp for the Bears, if you're in the area, it's it's really a good time to just come out there and, and watch the players practice. There's a lot of events for kids, too, if you've got young ones to bring. But the training camp especially is going to have some pretty intense battles at a lot of positions. And I know as we get closer to the end of July, we're going to get more specifically on those positions. But today I want to talk about the guys really fighting for their jobs, the guys on the bubble, the Bears with the most to prove at training camp. And, Phil, I want to start off. With, with a debate on a couple of players here, a couple of Chicago Bears first-round picks that have some t- a target on their back, that have all of this pressure, and, and this is where we'll start the discussion. Who has more pressure to perform, not only in training camp, but perhaps this season, Kevin White or Kyle Fuller? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you the honest truth, because that's what we do here. 
at Bears Hour Live. We stick to the truth. And I, I got to say, based on everything factoring in the situation, I think Kevin White has a hell of a lot more to prove. Because let's face it, with Kyle Fuller, the kind of page turning has already transpired, if you will, because he wasn't a draft pick of Ryan Pace. Um, Vic Fangio and, and Fox and company have come out and spoke about him or, or they're, and completely been con, you know, very uh, convincingly uh, upset with him in the media and through the media, unlike what they tend to do. So I think Kyle Fuller is kind of almost a foregone conclusion that whatever you're getting from him is gravy at this point, where Kevin White, I mean, this was the seventh overall pick in the draft. I talked about this controversial statement, and I'll be clear again for the sub-sites that kind of run with things. Kyle Fuller wouldn't, I mean, uh, Kevin White, sorry, Lauren, isn't a lock if he was injured again. Just don't know how you continue to carry dead weight on a roster that can't produce on the football field. If Coach Fox is going to be chiming in about owies, sound drop again, Lauren, (laughs) then I think he's got to recognize that production on the football field can only be had when one is healthy. So the injury history and, you know, the whole gambit of the guys were all coming out highly talented, only ran a very simplistic offense at West Virginia, has shown to me and you, Lauren, absolutely nothing. And let's face it, he's got a lot to prove. And I think the pressure is on the kid where Kyle Fuller kind of really is a family of football players in the NFL. Kind of really, probably, I'm, I'm guessing here. But through the grapevine, I've heard that he'd like to have a change, much like Alshon Jeffrey. So I think his pressure is much less than a guy that was a former first-round pick who's raw, who's been injury-prone, and has really shown the fan base next to nothing when it comes to his football ability in the NFL. So I just think it's very clear to me, and I I don't know, did I spell it out good enough, Lauren? Are are feelings going to be hurt? I don't know. (laughs) I think so. See, okay. I I disagree. I think uh, good. We got a, yeah. our first disagreement of the summer. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Kyle Fuller has more pressure on him right now to succeed. And maybe it's a it's a different kind of pressure, but Kyle Fuller is fighting for his NFL career, I think. I mean, he's in the last year of his contract. He's a former first-round pick. He he showed some flashes in 2014 and 2015, but has never really looked like the 14th overall pick in the draft. And if, you know, especially if he gets hurt again, I mean, another team is going to take a chance on him, but he could realistically be one team away from being out of the league. If he, you know, if he either gets hurt again or gets cut from the Bears and then goes to another team and doesn't really play well, I don't know how many more teams, I mean, I think at least one will give him another chance just based on what they scouted from him before the draft and seeing him as a first-round talent as he once was. A lot of those guys, when they don't succeed with their first team, they tend to get a second chance. But if he's if his knee isn't 100% and has to, he has to have another surgery on it in the preseason, I mean, that could be his career. I mean, I think that's a lot of pressure on him to stay healthy and for him to at least find a way to stick on this roster spot because he's playing for his next contract. Whereas I feel like a guy like Kevin White, as much as... He wants to prove that he was worth the seventh overall pick and, you know, wants to be the explosive receiver that we thought he could be. I don't know if the pressure is as high for him. I don't think it's like if Kevin White goes out there and has an average season, I don't think people are going to be all that disappointed. I mean, they'll be disappointed, but they won't. It's not the same as him missing the year again with injury. And I think. You know, fans at this point would like would just take anything from Kevin White. They would take 16 games from Kevin White, and I think there's a little bit of a less pressure there. I think he's sort of, 
I think among the fan base, there's sort of this uh, this agreement, this under this unwritten agreement that you're kind of accepting some level of bust status for both of them, really. But for White, you know, if you miss when you miss your first two seasons, you're not living up to the expectations of your draft pick. You're kind of you're kind of past a certain stage there. Now there's another stage of bust where you know you just are a terrible NFL player and never give a team anything. And obviously he's trying to avoid that. But clearly. He hasn't been worth the seventh overall pick up to this point. And so there's certain base level of pressure that's sort of removed. Is he knows that, you know, his roster spot's more or less safe if he stays healthy. And he doesn't have to put up 1,000 yards this year to be able to sort of meet expectations. It's sort of like he's a rookie again. And the expectations are for him to perform as a rookie, but a rookie who's at least been in the system for a couple years and played a few games. But he really hasn't had a lot of experience under his belt, whereas Kyle Fuller has started for two years in this league and I, and he's fighting for his job. That That's where I see Fuller. I think you're really saying the same thing I am about Fuller. The only thing different is Fuller has played in games where he's been productive, almost to the extent where he was your best defensive back on the football field. I've never came away... Looking at Kevin White, I mean, obviously... Well, it, was that saying very same. much? When he was your best defensive <laughs> back in 2014 on the... Was that the... What's the defensive coordinator who's... What's his name? I can't even think of Mel it. Tucker. Yeah, on the Mel Tucker defense, he was the best defensive back there, you know? Well, I mean, this is the NFL. I know they only could play who is the best. And, and we've seen Kyle Fuller do things on the NFL level that are NFL-level talent required and this coaching staff and I know Bears bar room um, and Bears hour live and prior to that Bears beat Bears wire all of the historical timeline of Lauren Cox and draft doc have stated that Kyle Fuller best move would be to free safety and it's been there since the inception of him being drafted by the Bears. And it's uh, documented history online. You can go see it. I mean, I wrote about it when he was drafted. And I believe that that would be the best case service for him, Lauren. Did Phil and, Emery talk about that briefly? Yeah, after he, he was talked drafted? about it. He talked about that he was versatile. <laughs> you know, say what you want about Phil Emery. You know, a lot of GMs are, every GM is going to have hits and misses. You know, coaching to me is the biggest definition of how you see talent because they know how to put the talent in the right places. Phil Emery drafted Kyle Long to be a left tackle. He drafted Kyle Fuller to be a free safety eventually. And, you know, maybe the guy's right. I think this Phil is on the same page as, as he was because I feel like that would give the Bears a better opportunity to win, and we'll see what happens in camp. But I just don't think – I think Kyle Fuller gets another shot. I think Kevin White has done nothing. That's why it's so – we saw what he was when in that – I think it was the Dallas Cowboy game or the Lions game where he – made a great play and you saw a glimpse talking about Kevin White and he got up and he was all amped up and he was fired up and then like three plays later he's done for the year again that kind of pressure on a football player was coming out he was hitting his stride he was feeling confident that mental aspect as I talked about it you know if he gets a hamstring injury the fan base is going to be like, ah, oh, Kevin White again. And Kevin White has to deal with the inner demons of that, and that's why I think this is going to be an uphill climb because he's either going to have to be really good or he's really going to end up being talked about as an absolute bust because there's no other way based on the two, 0 for 2 in your seasons. And if he doesn't come out and play the game he can't get out of the game mentally. He has to go out and not force things and just be the dynamic football player you can be. And then he'll have no problem. Do the the technical things, the elementary things well, and you should fall right into line. Know your playbook. 
don't push it. And that is going to be something that we really have to watch come training camp because I really think because he's a Ryan Pace draft pick and he's been injured twice, Lauren, I just think Kyle Fuller will get another shot somewhere. And Kevin White, injuries, he can't make the club in the tub, injuries and lack of anything, really, is going to be a downfall to his career. So I'm pulling for this football player. I want to see him be successful. But right now, he's a virtual unknown, just like um, any of the other rookies that are coming in, because it's essentially his rookie year, as you said, Lauren. Yeah, maybe it's because... I was watching the ESPN 30 for 30 last night about the Buffalo Bills that lost four Super Bowls in a row, but I kind of see <laughs> a little bit of that with Kevin White, where like, I, I think you asked this, if, if it was last year Kevin White versus this year Kyle Fuller, I would say Kevin White totally, because he had just come off of you know the one year of being injured, and now year two, Kevin White has to make up for last year, but I think now, after two years of disappointment, I feel like there's a little bit of a of sort of a, an accepted disappointment in him that, you know, like, you know, like same with the bills and the super bowl. It's like after they lost the first super bowl and then got back to the second one, I think the pressure was huge. But then when they got back to the third one, it was like, Oh, well, everyone's kind of expecting the bills to lose the third super bowl and same kind of thing with the fourth one. And so I kind of feel like there's a little bit of that with Kevin white, you know, after the first injury, it was like, okay, come back year two, got to do it this year. And he plays, he plays in the first three games and you're like, okay, Kevin White's getting the ball a lot, and this is going to be it. And then it's even more disappointing when he goes down the second time. So now that it's a, it's year three, I feel like at least I am a little bit more desensitized to the Kevin White pressure. And that it's like, oh, yeah, well, he's under pressure every year now because he can't stay healthy. So staying healthy is the big step for him. I don't think a lot of people are expecting him to go from not playing at all. And I'm not saying you are either, but I'm not playing at all to a 1,000-yard season, I think. There's not a, there's not a lot of pressure for him to produce. There's just pressure for him to stay healthy and play 16 games. Whereas I think a Kyle Fuller has both pressures. I think there's pressure for him to not only make the roster and stay healthy, but to also work his way back, maybe into the starting lineup, at least into the rotation at cornerback, and try and prove that hey, he's not a bust. That one year of injury was just a fluke, and now he's back and he's healthy and he's more consistent. Because that was the big thing for him. In year one and then year two, everyone was hoping to see Kyle Fuller sort of take that next step. It seemed like he'd make flashes of big turnover here, big tackle here, big pass breakup here, and then he'd get a little bit lost in man coverage. You know, his guy would shake him and he'd give up a big gain, and they sort of would go back and forth. And same thing happened in year two, and everyone was like, when is Kyle Fuller going to get good? When is, when is he going to be more consistent and really be that first round level, you know, number one cornerback on this team. And then he gets hurt again, or he gets hurt for the first time and misses the whole year. And now I think the pressure is on him to get back to what he once was and potentially take another step forward so he can earn another contract. And I think he's more fighting for his job and his career than a Kevin White, where if Kevin White gets hurt again or has played 16 games but gets 500 yards as a number four receiver, I don't think that's going to necessarily affect him that much going into the next year. I mean, obviously, a couple of years down the line, Kevin White's going to need a new contract, and then then you're going to start to see that pressure ramp up as he nears that contract year. But I feel like he's got a job this year, he's got a job next year at least, and then maybe even another year beyond that. And I think that, to me, lowers his pressure just a little bit lower than Kyle Fuller's. Well, you make a good case. I understand where you're coming from, but again, we're going to do this dance back and forth because That's radio, with, the re- with the receiver, I just feel as though there's other receivers now in the competition. Kyle Fuller, to me, is somebody who's a luxury item, you know, because he was from the Emory institution, that he could play safety, he could be in there at safety, he could play corner, he could be in competing at corner. Okay? But with Kevin White, there's virtually so much that goes into him coming back from two injuries and not being polished at all as a receiver. With a new offensive backfield with the quarterback, Jordan Howard, you know, can he take that next step? And that's going to be on him. The onus of that really 
you know, are you going to just keep a guy on a roster because he was the first pick? You know, that's the Dave Wanstead error. The, we've seen this pattern in Chicago Bear football that it's not win at all costs. You know, the Seattle Seahawks, for example, you know, they'll draft a guy in the second round. He honestly can't compete with a couple undrafted free agents. They're not afraid to admit they made a mistake and move on and play the best players. But the Chicago Bears have a history and a tendency, and we can, this is well documented, we can go into those numbers off the air and tweet them out, that they'll continue to keep a guy on a roster or play or force play a guy because he was picked high until ultimately you know, they move on or the coaching staff gets fired and there's a new administration, then it's okay to move on. Play the best. The best players play. If that's the young kid from Wyoming, then he should be on the football field. Whoever's going to give this team the best complete possibility to win on Sundays should be on the football field. And if that's Kevin White, we're going to know that with eyes on training camp and preseason football. You're going to know who Kevin White is and if he is your best receiver. Lauren Cox will be at training camp. There'll be some very astute people that I trust that are going to be at practices telling me, yes, Kevin really is knowing his stuff because in the past, it really was an uphill climb for him. And that's why after two injuries, if a third strike, you know, in baseball, Lauren, what happens? You take your ass to the bench. You're up. <laughs> That's it. So I just don't see three strikes and Kevin White's in again. You know, I got issues with the last wide receiver coach. I thought he really held this team back. I thought he was a lot of boisterous personality, loud mouth. But really, ultimately, when you watch the tape, you know, he's not holding these players accountable and keeps putting the same players out there and drops. I mean, We've documented the Josh Bellamy drama and the Chronicles and Deontay Thompson, but that wasn't a joke, folks. That really happened on the NFL level that those guys, I mean, you know, one game is one thing. Three games is a goddamn travesty that your football team is, is counting on a player to just make a catch over the middle on fourth down. He drops it against Detroit to keep the game a lot. It's just over and over that I could showcase just simple coaching and holding players accountable, Tracy Porter, that you just continue to just be a joke, really, in the NFL. And, and hopefully, it seems as though this guy has a lot of passion. And when I talk about that, Coach Azani coming in, he coached at Tennessee beforehand, so you know college coaches – tend to have a lot of fire and passion in their belly. Get them out there. Get the best players into the game. And and really, it's going to be exciting because there's a lot of unknowns. You know, Wheaton and Wright, you know, um, how is uh, Cameron Meredith coming back from a thumb injury? That wide receiver core, a lot of questions are going to be answered in training camp, and I hope to God that they stick to their guns and play the best guys that are going to help you win and not continue what transpired last season, Lauren. Well, one thing is clear with both Kevin White and Kyle Fuller is that the Bears clearly don't seem to be planning on or at least relying on a high level of production from either one. They spent a lot of free agent dollars, and maybe not a lot of dollars, but put a lot of bodies at both of their mm-hmm. positions, both wide receiver and cornerback, with potentially free agents taking three starting jobs, maybe a starting wide receiver and both starting cornerback jobs. So obviously, the pressure is on both of those men, and expectations are going to be at least high, I think, for, for both of them. One maybe fighting for a roster spot, one more fighting for his his uh, his status, his pride, and his, his ability as a, as a former seventh overall pick. But I want to move on now to a few other guys here on the bubble, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spend time talking about the, you know, the Cyril Richardsons, the Bradley Souls, the Titus Davises of the world that don't necessarily have 
much of a shot to make the roster. I mean, they're technically on the bubble, but they, you know they don't necessarily. They're 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 not going to be guys that we're expecting to necessarily make these big pushes to make the team. But I want to I want to talk more about the maybe the Lamar Houston's of the world, the guys that have these question marks. Are they safe? Are they not? And I guess uh, the way I want to start this is at the wide receiver position with Kevin White. But between the free agents that they signed, Marcus Wheaton, Kendall Wright, Victor Cruz, we've kind of, we've talked a, a bit about them on previous podcasts, especially Victor Cruz. If you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to it. We were pretty excited about his potential this season coming out of New York. But of those three guys, Phil, which one do you think both has the most to prove and maybe which one is on the least shaky ground or the most shaky ground is, you know, who who looks like in your mind has the, the I guess the worst chance of making the roster of the three free agents? Ah, that's a tough question. <laughs> Start with who has the, the most approved. How about that? We don't need to make any roster predictions just yet. Well, I think the most approved would be uh right, because he was a former first round pick. He has experience with Dow Logan's offense. I think he fits um, the offense. Obviously, Dowell Log has wanted him to be here. I think that's like a coach going to bat for one of his former players. We've seen that here before in the past again. So I feel like watching him on tape, his rookie year, you really saw an outstanding burst and athleticism uh you saw great transition at the stem of the route where he was able to get separation and make plays he's not afraid to go after it when it's over the middle or diving for the football making those you know contended passes isn't his game he's not a jump ball catcher you know and he's not a polished route runner in the slot i i I said this before, Lauren, you know, if they're going to try to use him in the slot, I think Victor Cruz is much more, much more serviceable and much more um, polished when it comes to understanding his ability to separate and gain separation by running great routes where right, you know, coming from Baylor doesn't have the polish, doesn't have the understanding. So, Years removed, coming into Dowell's scheme, I feel like, as well as being out of shape early in minicamp. So hopefully he comes into camp really focused on the position. They gave him a lot of money. And really, I feel as though that money tends to showcase what kind of person a football player is. Because is he going to take the money and run so to speak Lauren or is he going to be competitive and say you know what this is my career I got a one-year deal here an opportunity talk about a guy that might be in his last leg of the NFL if he doesn't make it here where is he going to do it so I think he really has a lot I think he's the most shaky ground based on those factors into his game yeah as far as I say I agree about the shaky ground with with Kendall Wright. I think Victor Cruz, like we talked about on the previous show, he comes in and we're both excited about him. I mean, obviously he still has to prove it in Chicago, but a lot of what he did in New York these past couple of years is very impressive. Even last year after the injury, he he was able to you know excel in certain areas while Eli Manning struggled. And I think in Chicago, especially if they leave him in the slot, that's going to be big for him. But I feel like. With Marcus Wheaton, maybe he's not on the shaky ground, but I think expectations are going to be the highest for him, not only because of the contract they gave him, two years, $11 million, with, I think, $6 million guaranteed, so about half of it. And he's supposed to, he's kind of getting paid. I think he might be the highest paid receiver on this team right now, and that's, that means starter money. <laughs> that means you need to start 16 games and put up at least 800 yards, I'd say. I mean, that's what... Cameron Meredith put up 888 last year. I think if 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 Marcus Wheaton is going to be a 16 game starter here, he has to produce, and he wasn't. You know, that's kind of a new role for him. He started 11 games, I think, back in 2014 with the Steelers because they had some other injuries. And you know, like we've talked about on this show, he's not some of the same things you were talking about. Kendall Wright, he's not very prolific route runner yet. I mean, he's much more of a 
uh, you know, I was looking at his route trees back from 2014, and the majority of his targets that year were go routes and hitches with a decent mm-hmm. amount of outs, but didn't run very many, wasn't targeted on very many posts, was not targeted targeted on a single corner route, couple comeback routes, couple in routes, a couple slants, but it was hitches and goes and then a few out routes. But it's not as though he was out there running the full route tree at least very effectively as a starter. And that was a few years ago, so I think you know, you're hoping that you know, over these last couple of years, and now he spent a whole year off with injury. You're hoping he can come into what year five now? Year yeah, year five of mm-hmm. Marcus Wheaton's career. It's kind of like a Keem Hicks. Are you ready to be the starter? Are you going to be that breakout candidate that can come in here and you know show the Pittsburgh Steelers that they gave up on you too early and they should have given you a second contract after your rookie deal? Or is he going to kind of be the guy he was in Pittsburgh, where good you know number three, number four rotational wide receiver who can do a little bit more if your guys get hurt, but ultimately is he going to be worth that two million or that two year eleven million dollar contract? You, you totally speaking to preaching to the choir. He's an interesting signing because exactly what you describe him as. Obviously, doing your homework, Lauren. If you don't follow Lauren Cox at Cox Sports One on Twitter, you need to doing your homework because he is a nine route guy. He's going to press that corner and force that safety to be aware of him beating that corner deep over the top. He helps your offense like that. So how they see him or view him because exactly what you said, I don't, I liked Wheaton coming out of Oregon state. I remember very specifically, and I knew the Pittsburgh Steelers had a tendency with A.B. prior to him, the the receiver from Ole Miss. Oh, my God. The speedster. Uh, Bryant? Not Bryant. He was from Clemson. He ended up going to the Miami Dolphins on a big deal. Uh, not Landry, but the other one. Right. Um, so this kind of football player, they like to throw the ball deep ball in Pittsburgh. He fit their scheme. How he's going to fit Dow Loggins' scheme is is going to be interesting to me because they do run a lot of shallow crosses. They didn't use the slots very well last year. There seems to be a big emphasis on the tight end position with so many on the roster as well as a second-round pick in Adam Shaheen coming in here. So Kendall Wright, I mean, excuse me, Marcus Wheaton getting a two-year deal essentially getting starters money, highest paid player, he's going to be a focal part. And I just don't know how I feel about that in June right now, Lauren, because of what he has done. As you said, he's going to threaten it over the top and he's going to run a hitch. and He's going to make a play. As far as invading that post area, getting in the middle of the field, making a play, we haven't seen that from Mr. Wheaton. So I'm with you, Lauren. This is going to be a daily discussion or show. Every show we're going to be going over come training camp and preseason action, talking about this wide receiver core and assessing them truthfully on how they played the game, going back over the tape, showing you, and putting in perspective here, because I think this time around, we really got to back up the truth, Lauren, to the fan to show that we're just not talking the talk. We walk the walk. And if Marcus Wheaton goes out there and showcases the kind of uh, route running and playing ability that we haven't seen, it's going to be interesting, this wide receiver core as a whole. And for those playing along at home, the wide receiver we were trying to think of was uh, Mike Wallace. Absolutely, Mike Wallace. And they also had uh, Emmanuel Sanders, too. I'd forgotten about that when I was Emmanuel Sanders. They, they love nice that. They, they draft receivers, Lauren. They know how to put their, you know, their uh, assessment of talent in the Todd Haley philosophy of getting deep and having that ability to threaten those safeties, opening it up for Big Ben and Le'Veon Bell. And 
when you talk about the Chicago Bears, you got a beautiful running back there, Lauren. I know I don't want to get off the subject real quick, but I got to take notice of uh, a podcast I was listening to this week got me all amped up, Lauren, because the national media tends to totally overlook talent. And when you look at a top 100 or Pro Bowl voting, and a kid like Jordan Howard doesn't play in the first four games of the season and almost leads the NFL in rushing, and the Dallas Cowboys rookie gets all the praise because he was a first-round pick, and the Chicago Bears team that wasn't good has this guy where they're stacking the box because they know that's their offense, and he's still doing it, I think kudos need to go to that football player when you watch the tape because it's not just the interior of the Bears' offensive line that is helping this football player. This is an instinctive, absolutely fantastic running back in Jordan Howard. He really fits the zone philosophy inside and out because he has great, and I'm talking great, run instincts and physicality. And that, those two things are two uncoachable things that football players tend to have to learn or just naturally God-given have. I think Jordan Howard really needs to be applauded. And the Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah Jenga show talking about what piece of the puzzle can the Chicago Bears not lose and, or, or lose and they would crumble and they totally overlooked Jordan Howard and the football player that he is basically just giving a pass. Uh, I think maybe Kyle Long, they said. <laughs> Kyle Long. Right guard. So Your right guard left would guard. crumble. Your, yeah, left guard. So that was their completely unknowledgeable. It was so disgusting to hear that. And, and then come back, Daniel, and say, they got nobody on defense. They got nobody on defense. That was his terminology for the Chicago Bears. They got nobody on D. I, I don't see one good player on defense. Nope. Wow. No one there. Wow. Akeem Hicks. You don't see Jarrell Freeman, maybe the best inside linebacker in the NFL. I mean, if we had all 16 t- games, uh, let's really, really look at tape. And talk the truth. I mean, I needed to call that out, Lauren, because Jordan Howard is absolutely fantastic. He's, I mean, as I watched the t- season back, Lauren, I took a little time off and just started watching game tape and watching the difference between Langford and Jordan Howard is, is absolute comedy. This kid, Howard, just understands where he needs to go prior to snap because he understands the fronts. He's obviously in the playbook. He's obviously in the film study, but really, wow, he is so instinctive. He can backdoor, cut back. He could do it all, and he gets his shoulder pads clear. The fact that Dow Loggins and company didn't use him more is hysterical to me and you, Lauren, but I just, you get away from it and then you come back and I said, you know what, I'm going to take some time out on the show with Lauren and really let fans know that this football player is as good as advertised, but better. And that is the <laughs> truth. No, because they've overlooked this football player. They've completely... Taken, I, I don't, I don't know how to even explain it because the Bears were so bad. They've totally overlooked this young man in a rookie season that was absolutely fantastic. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys' offensive line is a good offensive line. They have probably the best left tackle, arguably now, in football. In Smith, he's outstanding athlete, and they got a great center. They got good guards there. You know, I think the Chicago Bears interior offensive line 
later in the season could be up there with the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. But not but, the tackles. <laughs> but not the tackles. And when you look at a whole factor, it's in unison. Offensive line play, if you stay healthy and you get it together. The other guy, too, that really was outstanding is Cody White here. I mean, well, I want to keep is, it at the running back position here for a minute right, before we'll we get keep it there before we get too ahead of ourselves. And I do want to get to a few players on the defense, but I guess, I guess real quick while we were on the Jordan Howard thing, you know, there's a lot of talk about you know him versus Ezekiel Elliott, and I think Howard was better in all of the things that mattered. I mean, Elliott had seventy more carries and three more receptions than Howard did, but Howard broke more tackles on both runs and receptions than Ezekiel Elliott for a guy that was seen as a bad receiver out of the backfield he broke more tackles than Ezekiel Elliott on catches mm-hmm. out of the backfield and averaged more yards after contact too so I mean he's definitely if he's not if if I'm not I might not say with 100% certainty personally I've not watched enough of Ezekiel Elliott in 2016 to say that Jordan Howard was the better running back last year although I'm pretty sure he was but I I, I don't want to stamp that opinion without at least looking at some Ezekiel Elliott tape because I really haven't but at least statistically there's a lot of reason to say Jordan Howard was better in fewer games than Ezekiel Elliott. But I want to stick with our with our podcast theme here and stay with a guy that you mentioned briefly in there, in Jeremy Langford, because he's a guy that I don't think has a, a roster spot guaranteed to him despite being drafted two years ago in the fourth round. And, you know, Kadeem carries right there in that conversation a, a year earlier in the fourth round that two guys with Tariq Cohen in the building and Benny Cunningham in the building – Neither one of those guys, in my mind, has a roster spot locked in. And I, I think, you know, I think Cohen and Howard have roster spots pretty much set. And then it's, mm-hmm. it's Cunningham, Langford, Carey, maybe for one spot, maybe for two. But you're you're looking at, at one spot there. And I, and I think we touched on this a little bit on a previous show, but I want to get really into Langford here because it, it at least feels to me like of the three of those running backs, he might have the worst shot of making the team, which is, I guess, surprising when you step back and look at it. I have to agree with you, Lauren. I mean, I just addressed it. You, you go away from tape and then you come back and you just watch the running game and you really see a difference in Langford's ability to recognize and just have feel. Now, here's a kid that played multiple positions at Michigan State. And the one thing you would expect him to be, more so than anything else, is a tremendous receiver out of the backfield. And it just so happens where he struggles often most on top of not being able to read the cutback. You know, uh, I spoke on Jordan Howard understanding as he's standing there as the dot in the backfield going up against the defensive front. The tight end goes in motion, and the linebacker shift. Now, that's given Jordan Howard his cues of where they're going to run the inside zone to the backside of that tight end that was in motion. Jeremy Langford is lost. He doesn't see it. He does. You should know already if this defensive end or this outside shade defensive tackle comes up the field, I got to hit the zone play inside and then read my next read naturally. And I'm taking you through it in a trying to read a book to you on football, really, and give you a visual image of this. Jeremy Langford, the tight end goes in motion. The zone plays going to the weak side and he has no clue. He'll just run outside and the defensive end comes up and smashes the play, and there's a minus one or one-yard gain that should have been seven. And the crowd has no idea. The statistics don't know or recognize it, but when you watch the tape, the coaching staff does, and that's what Jeremy Langford is right now. I just don't think he, based on those names, has a feel for anything in the run game his real talent should have been his receiving skills and Lauren I agree with you there he's lacking too I think Tarek Cohen is going to come in here mark my words everybody quote that 
He is going to be a star in Chicago. Just mark my words. Because when we talk about dot in the backfield, understanding fronts, and having instinctive feel for running the football, Tarek Cohen is special. So if you have a combination of thunder and lightning like that with Howard and Cohen, it's going to be an exciting time for the Bears' run game. I completely understand why they took this football player. And you know I've been so excited and originally compared him to Tarek Hill in Kansas City. Well, I think, what, the day after the draft for Bears' barroom? So that kind of athletic talent in your backfield and used in multiple ways is going to help this football team. Benny Cunningham, Lauren, he's going to give you kick returning. He's going to be able to play third down. He's a serviceable guy. And that really puts, um, you know, a microscope on my boy, our guy, Kadeem Carey. He's much like the Kevin White stuff. You can't make the club in the tub. You've got to be healthy. He's had concussion. He got a broken rib. So he's a physical runner. He brings that level of physicality to the football field. He's just not been able to stay healthy. So I agree with you there. Him and Langford are going to be under the the gun here to make this football team. I think Cohen and and, um, Howard are locks. And I think the fact that serviceable Benny Cunningham, he's going to be the the real impetus of – yeah, he's going to be the X factor to this backfield because if he can give you plays and snaps and be serviceable, he's going to make Kadeem Carey and Langford worthless, really. So because he's going to push them for playing time and really what do they bring to the table? I know we've talked about getting Langford back at kick returns. Use his kid's speed. Let's see what he could do, Lauren. And if you were head coach, Phil – would Jeremy Langford be working with Zach Azani and the wide receivers at OTAs? Just you know what? There, try him out at that position? I would put him there. I would say, listen, we know what he is as a running back. You're reading my mind, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> He's average. Yeah, average. He's shown you some things, but his confidence is broken. Yeah. Get him to do what he should be doing best, and that's catching the football. And put him out there. That would be exactly my move. And handed down from my father. He would be, you're going to play receiver this spring. And you're going to show us how well and how much you want it. We know what you are as a running back. We can always just move you back there. You should know your playbook inside and out at this point. There should be Jeremy Langford knows every formation, and knows every play. He's been here for three years. There should be no questions whatsoever with that football player. This kid would go to receiver, work his tail off out there, and then now you can use him in multifaceted ways all across the football field and come Sundays. And then his value becomes that much higher because what if – you catch lightning in a bottle, Lauren, with that. What if he goes out there and he showcases the ability to not only move the chains but really give you some snaps in the slot, give you some snaps going outside. Now you could put him in the backfield, run him in motion, and force a linebacker to cover this kid one-on-one where he's running a, a deep post and no one's covering him, and he catches the football. You saw in San Diego when he got down and he ran a wheel route Cutler put a nice ball on him. He dove and made a great play. Probably his best highlight as a bear. The fact that he can do it is there. How you squeeze that juice out of him is you got to gain confidence out of Langford, gain and use him in the right ways, and that would totally be my plan for this kid come training camp. He would be... I know Bill Parcells would have done the same thing. <laughs> Put this kid out there and play. You got to play mind games with a mental game. You got to do it to get the most out of football players. You need to push them to places they don't want to be and don't think they could do. 
until ultimately the lights go on and do it. And I would also have him, Lauren, as the kick returner. He's 220 pounds. He can run. Put him back there versus a Deontay Thompson who every seventh play, not tackled at the 12, (laughs) he gets you to the 30-yard line or the 28. Well, he had a great return. It was to the 24. I mean, (laughs) let's be honest. The kick goes to the 25 now. (laughs) All right? So just take a knee and get it to the 25. We're good. Now, one thing I wanted to check, I want to move over to the defense here because we're starting to get in our final 10 minutes or show of the show. But one last thing I want to ask you about Jeremy Langford. I was just, just now looking back. You know, this past season, 2016, he did not play a single snap on special teams any weeks. Even after Jordan Howard was clearly the starter, you know, Langford was getting, you know, four or five, maybe 10 at most carries a game and not lining up anywhere on special teams. But then I looked back to 2015, you know, when he was the starter and the first... It uh, looks like the first two weeks of the year, he was a four-phase special teamer. Then weeks three and four, he was a three-phase special teamer. And then five and six, he was a, a two-phase special teamer. And then it just completely dropped off. So clearly, they have put him on special teams. They have trusted him on special teams. And I think that at least in 2015, it declined as his role on offense increased. Uh, but why? why do you think then he wouldn't play a single snap of special teams in 2016. Is that an indictment on his ability as a special teams player, or is do you think it's something with Loggins wanting him ready for the offense or the special teams coach? I mean, what, real quickly, what do, you, what do you think the reason for that could be? Remember I talked about the Wanstead era earlier, how they just played high picks, things were set in stone. I'm going to talk about a Hall of Fame football player, Terrell Davis making a football team about to be cut as a seventh round pick out of Georgia makes a football team because he runs down on special teams and absolutely cold clocks a returner setting the whole stage for the whole team getting fired up mind you in a preseason game guys that want to play football want to be on the football field no matter what the plays are special teams whatever a running back wants to be on the football field you saw the knocks by Bear Report, remember on Kadeem Carey, and he doesn't play special teams. Well, Kadeem Carey went out there, right, Lorne? And he became one of the best blockers in the back end, opening up holes and knocking people down because he was given the opportunity because he wanted to be on the football field. Langford thought he loved him, loved him some Langford and thought he was the starter. And ultimately, I don't know how and why, but you're bringing up a great point here. I don't know what Jay Rogers or whoever, one of the Rogers brothers, I always confuse the two. I'm not sure. They don't put him on the football field on special teams. Again, another athlete. This kid ran a 440. He doesn't show up on tape that fast when he's running the football. He's had some explosive plays. I remember the L.A. Rams now, formerly the St. Louis Rams, in that game, breaking a screen pass, outrunning the safeties. The kid has traits that you want to see. How you don't have him on special teams is an indictment on the coaching staff. If the kid isn't wanting to be on special teams, then he he shouldn't want to play that kind of – philosophy in my mind he has to be he's a backup running back how is he not on special coverage units and going down and being a blocker if he's not on special teams lauren he shouldn't be on the 53 roster i i totally agree and i I think you're gonna see him at least step that up and and especially in the preseason here try and show i mean i think he's gonna have to earn that on not only throughout training camp but in those preseason games and I think that's going to be the key for him to make the roster but I want to move on to the defensive side of the ball because this has been pretty much an all offense show and I I just double checked real quick he didn't play any preseason special teams last year either so it was very much he is the starter and that's that is the that is that's it so I want to move on to the defense though because you know we can't we can't hit too many positions now because our time is getting low Real quick, yes or no question. Is there any chance Jonathan Bullard 
gets cut after one year, Phil? No. No. Didn't think no. so. Just wanted just wanted no. to float that out there as a as a carrot on the stick. You know, if they were you know, if if John Jenkins and Jay Howard and Mitch Unran playing well and sorry Bullard, but I think we're both in agreement there that uh he's got a, he's got at least a couple more years there. But I wanna I wanna go to Lamar Houston because mm-hmm. you know, is he a guy that is locked in? I mean, I am a big Lamar Houston fan. I think he should be a important part of the rotation. I think people forget that he led the team in sacks. The last year he was healthy, I think it was the first year he was here, 2014, I think. And obviously, two torn ACLs is no small thing to overcome, but I still think he should be an important part of this rotation. Obviously, health is going to be a factor in that. But if he stays healthy, Phil, do you think he, McPhee, Floyd, and Young are all pretty much locks? Yeah, I think so, Lauren. Just looking at the roster, I think last spring before the draft, I would have said no. But right now, just looking at this roster and him coming back from an injury, you know, that he's had to deal with before, I think he's going to be an X factor, as you said, with Benny Cunningham. You know, is he going to come in here completely motivated? It seems as though he is. So therefore, you're going to be able to push other players for time at probably one of the critical things in a Vic Fangio defense. Can you win one-on-one battles on the open side? You know, with Fee, health, Willie Young, health, Leonard Floyd, health, uh, and now Lamar Houston, health. Has there ever been a team, Lauren, with so many health concerns when it comes to football position and high... One, one spot. <laughs> exactly. I, I just... I don't recall there ever being. I could be wrong. Somebody, please tweet at me. Totally not saying it hasn't happened, but I'm just thinking about established rushers, Lauren, and teams playing that 3-4 scheme, having to result in finding players like a Christian Jones to go in there and fill in because you're down six rushers or five rushers now you're onto your fifth guy well and at least Willie Young seen healthy that. you know he, he didn't miss a well, game he was he, or, he was, he was playing banged up but hurt. didn't miss a game was, yeah I know for a fact that he shouldn't have been playing but that's the kind of warrior that that guy is that's why we speak so highly of that football player Lauren um but you're right, you know, he stayed in there, but let's be honest. It's an important process come Sunday to get to the quarterback, to have a pass rush. And Lamar Houston, to me, is a, I believe he's a lock on this roster, looking at the talent surrounding him. If he's healthy, if he's coming in focused, I don't think uh, Lamar has anything to worry about because I think he has the ability to be versatile. I think he can go inside as well on third downs and give you pass rush from that area as well. You saw it happen with McPhee a couple plays, and McPhee was able to turn it loose from the inside, going up against some guards and, and using some stunts and loops, putting a defensive lineman in a tilt position a few times and getting them outside and working one-on-one. Getting those one-on-one matchups, I think Lamar Houston... Coming back healthy is going to be exciting for the Bears and kind of a bonus at this point. I don't mean to cut the outside linebacker talk short, but I want to touch on one more position here as we're creeping up on the the hour mark of our show, so I want to keep this one pretty short. Are we going to your your boys, his editing, your your editor over there at Bears Wire? Someone knows Ryan where I'm going. Perez? Are we going there? <laughs> I, we're, we're going to skip over the fact that uh, we both believe Quinton Dempsey and Adrian Amos will be your starting safeties, and neither one of us are very concerned with either one of them probably mm-hmm. right now losing their starting job. It kind of seems like those two are clearly the best at what they do from what we've seen so far. Obviously, that could change. You know, Deion Bush could have taken a big step or – Harold Jones Corte and maybe Eddie Jackson comes out and is healthy and plays better and maybe he could take over but for the most part we feel pretty good about Demps and Amos as starters but you got five safeties behind them and I mentioned three of them you also have DeAndre Houston Carson and Chris Przinski 
and this team is not going to keep more than three backup safeties, and they'll probably only keep two, assuming everyone stays healthy. So that means you're cutting three of Harold Jones-Corte, Deion Bush, Eddie Jackson, DeAndre Houston-Carson, and Chris Przinsky. And that's that's going to be a tricky cut down, and that's, that's where I want to wrap up the show here with this topic. I'm not ending the show, I'm just wrapping up here because you'd like to think, you know, Eddie Jackson is a, is a lock. He's going to be one of your backup safeties. They're not going to invest a fourth-round pick in a kid and then cut him. So that leaves you one or two more spots for two draft picks from last year in Bush and Houston Carson, and then one of your better special teams players, Chris Przinsky, and then Jones Corte, who is a good special teams player and we thought got a little bit too much flack for his play as a starter last year, but certainly has starting experience and is still, I believe, younger than Adrian Amos. He's still, I think, 23 or 24. I mean, I guess I'll put it the same question. Between Jones, Corte, Przinsky, even Bush and Houston Carson, I mean, who who do you like in that group right now? Not, not, not a prediction on who's going to make the team and who's going to get cut, but I guess who has the best chances at this point? I think, you know, Bush is going to be here. I think because he's a fourth-round pick with length, I think he's going to be the guy that's going to stay. I like, well, as you said. Safeties right there, Demps, Amos, Bush, Jackson. They might not keep Houston Carson, Pruszynski, or Jones Corte. So maybe I'll put think... it this way. Of, of Jones Corte, Pruszynski, Houston Carson, who would be the fifth safety if they were to keep five, in your opinion? Who would be or wouldn't? Would. I guess who has the best chance okay. out of those three to be number five? I think you got to go with Corte. I think, like you said, I felt a lot of flack for nothing, no apparent reason. I think Przinsky, cue up the uh, he's a survivor song because I don't know how he survives. Vic Fangio, some. He's got some nudie pics of him or something. I don't know. I was going to say that, too. <laughs> yeah. so Chris Brzezinski is a survivor. You know, he's he's a survivor. I don't know how. I like the guy, kid coming out, another Wyoming kid. I, I guess I have an affiliation for some reason with these Wyoming football players, Lauren. But Houston Carson. Remember, oh, that's for, wait, who? Brzezinski. Brzezinski was... Uh... Oh, yeah, you're right. He's, He's a one. Kid. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know I'm me. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I liked him coming out. I remember how athletic this kid was and in train. But when, you know, he makes a play and then ma- misses three type of football player. He's a special teams guy and that's it. I think Corte can start in a pinch and I th- give you special teams play on the same level as a Przinsky, if not more physical. I think uh, Corte also brings a passion and fire that the Bears need in their secondary, and I think having a Demps there to just be that leader for a young player, as you pointed out, he's younger than most of them, and he's an undrafted kid out of Finley College. I just I don't think you pass over that. I know your editor-in-chief over at Bears Wire was talking about Adrian Amos not being a lock. I couldn't believe that. Brian Perez, I can't wait to have him on the show and we could talk about that because I just think Adrian Amos has really gotten a bad rap in regards to what has transpired last season with that secondary, but in that order i think demps amos obviously jackson being a fourth round pick i love the ceiling of that football player i even think he could play nickel and corner so he brings a level of versatility i love him at the free safety position i think you're going to see demps there amos is going to be the strong safety they're going to get jackson reps in there corte could come in and a I think they invested in Dion Bush. I think the Przinsky and uh, Houston Carson, who really, we don't really know anything about the football player except he was a great special teamer at William & Mary, but really hasn't had the opportunity. He's he's a wild card. What is he going to bring in this spring, I mean this summer camp? 
I want to see him on the football field. If he's running with the fours and fives, Lauren, he ain't going to make this football team. And you're going to see Corte, Bush, and Jackson, Demps, and Amos out there on the football field and the 53. Yeah, it's easy to forget that uh, a guy like Houston Carson and uh, Harold Jones Corte, they both played quite a bit of special teams last year. But uh, Chris Prozinski, as far as the special teams tackles count goes, mm-hmm. Sherrick McManus led the whole team with 10, although he did miss two. Prozinski had seven, but he also missed four. So he was getting in position a lot better than everyone else. Prozinski was second there. But four missed tackles is also not something you want to see over and over again. Jones Corte had five, so he was only a couple behind Prozinski. And Houston Carson had one solo and two assists with one miss. So obviously, Prozinski, I think, played a lot more special team snaps just looking at the distribution there. But even a guy like uh, Houston Carson, kind of a weird thing for him because early in the season he was active and he was... uh, Looks like, just glancing at it, four-phase, maybe three-phase special team. Eh, it looks like four for the first five weeks of the year. Plays on all three, on all four of the phase, you know, both kickoff, both punt. And then after week five, is gone. He's, he's inactive for almost every game. He played one special team snap in week eight, another 13 in week 13, and a couple in week 17. But that was it. I mean, after those first five weeks, it just completely dropped off. Whereas a guy like Jones Corte was there for most of the year, you know, it, it it fluctuated based on his defensive playing time, I think, a little bit. You know, not as much early in the season, but as it got later on and he was kind of rotating out more, he was much more active on the kickoff teams and the punt teams. But, you know, Przinsky was the guy that just did it most often. And I, and I agree with you that I think, you know, he, 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 valued, he offers so little on defense that Chris Przinsky, while a guy like... Harold Jones Corte can do both can do defense at a a serviceable level and special teams at a serviceable level that I don't know if Prozinski's value is quite enough on special teams to keep him over a Harold Jones Corte although I don't know if it's the fifth safety spot you know maybe they do purely value that spot as a special team spot considering it might not even be a roster spot that exists at this point but I think that that backup safety competition is one of those position battles here that I think kind of gets overlooked, you know, with the quarterbacks and the tight ends and the wide receivers and all the new free agent cornerbacks. That backup mm-hmm. safety has what I think looks like a decent amount of talent, a lot of young talent, and that's going to be, I think, one of the more intriguing training camp battles as we get down there towards the end of July. But we're already a bit over our hour here, Phil, so I want to wrap up now. I want to thank all of our, our loyal listeners here for tuning in. Of course, if you're listening to the podcast version, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or whatever podcast distributor you use to listen to it. Those subscriptions and then the five-star reviews in iTunes is how we move up in the podcast ranking, so we'd really appreciate it if you could give us a hand there. You know, we took the last week and a half-ish off, but we're going to be back into the full swing of things here again. We'll be back next weekend. We're going to try and get our film room going again here. I think uh, Roy Robertson Harris is going to be the next target there. Some UTEP films will be on the lookout for our YouTube channel. The wheels are going to get churning there again, too. And as always, I want to thank everyone for listening to this edition of Bears Hour Live. Come on.